Lord, I echo your words back to you. Not only am I the preacher dependent in this moment for you to fill me as I abide in you, but your people, if your word is to transform our lives and make us into the image of you, if your word is to impact our community and our city and our culture, we must abide. And so, Father, would you help us to that end? If there be sin in our heart at this very moment, I pray your Holy Spirit would bring that to our mind and we would confess that we might abide right now in this place and be changed forever by your word and your spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a tough uh, title to the sermon, They Will Hate You. They Will Hate You. And you know, earlier, even as I've just mentioned in John, we've seen that if we abide in Christ, we can bear much fruit to His glory and become like Christ. So it would stand to reason If we become like Christ, the world is going to love us. Well, not according to our text. John 15, verse 18. Look at that with me. Verse 18 in our passage there in John 15, it says, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you, so there's this assumption that the world is going to hate you because it hated me. On October 16th, 1555, get that in your head, so 500 years ago roughly, October 16th, 1555, Hugh Lattimore He was once the Bishop of Worcester, England, and Nicholas Ridley, his friend, also a bishop and the Bishop of England. The two of them on October 16, 1555, were burned at the stake for what has now become called the Oxford Martyrs. Latimer Latimer had joined a a group of reformers trying to reform the Catholic Church, and he met regularly at a White Horse Tavern there in London. My daughter was in London last year, and she took a picture of the White Horse Tavern because she had heard me talk about this story and sent it back to me. This has always been one of my favorite stories. Latimer began to preach publicly on the need for the Bible to be translated from Latin to English. This was really dangerous because recently the the Bible had been translated, but it had been outlawed. To be read in English was illegal. In early 1528, so many years before they were burned at the stake, Lattimore was called before the cardinal, Thomas Wolseley, and he was given an admonition 
and a warning. No more preaching in English. See, the, prob- the problem was people understood English. When you preached in Latin, they had no idea what you were saying, and so the church could hold on to its power. But as the people began to understand the Bible, the church at that time began to lose its power. Ridley, this is now back to 1955, and Ridley and Lattimore were the two friends, the two bishops. Ridley went to the stake where they were to be burned in a smart black clergy robe. But the gray-haired Lattimore, who had a gift for publicity, he wore a shabby old garment to draw attention to himself, which he took off to reveal a shroud. A shroud was a grave clothing. When Ridley got to the stake where he was to be burned, he kissed the stake. And both men knelt and prayed. After a 15-minute sermon from the Catholic bishop, urging them to repent, they were chained to the stake, and a bag of gunpowder was hung around each man's neck. The wood was made of rough branches and bundles of twigs. Lattimore, at this point, is quoted as having said to Ridley, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle, by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. As the fire took hold, Lattimore was stifled by the smoke and died without pain. But poor Ridley wasn't so lucky. The wood was piled up beyond his head, and as he writhed in agony and repeatedly cried out, Lord, have mercy upon me. I cannot burn. He's begging to be burned at this point. A younger bishop accused of the same crimes named Cranmer was made to watch. And the next year, he too would go to his stake and be burned alive. The world will hate you. The response of the world to Christ and his followers can be put no no other way. Jesus said, they will hate you because they hated me. The word world in the Greek is a word cosmos. And it refers not just to the world, but it refers to the context of a fallen world system comprised of unregenerate people, and it's controlled by their Lord, and their Lord is Satan. So when the text says the world will hate you, it means there's this whole fallen world system that's going to hate you. And because Satan hates God, he also hates the true people of God. And they become his targets 
for wrath, the scripture says, he roars and prowls around like a roaring lion. Since its ruler hates believers, it's hardly surprising that the world also hates. The world resents believers because, as Proverbs 29, 27 says, he who is upright in the way is an, abom- is an abominable abomination to the wicked. In other words, the upright are hated by the wicked. And in, in 1 John 3.12, John illustrated this principle. He said, Cain was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. This is uh, 1 John 3.12. And his brothers were righteous. So because of the righteousness... The world hates. And then, where do we see other examples of this hatred? Think about it. All of the apostles died a violent death except for John. Every one of them. Every one of them. And then, the first official persecution of Christians by the Roman government came during the reign of Emperor Nero. In July 64 A.D., a fire ravaged Rome, destroying much of the city. And then the rumors were that Nero had set these fires. Perhaps he probably did not. But he used the Christians as his scapegoats. He therefore blamed the Christians who were already despised by the populace. Christians were arrested They were cruelly tortured. They were thrown to wild animals. They were crucified, burned as torches to light Nero's gardens at night. The official persecution apparently was confined, was not confined to just Rome, but it was all over the Roman Empire, the known world at the time. According to tradition, Peter and Paul were martyrs during Nero's persecution. Well, what about, that's the apostolic age. What about hatred towards Christians today, the present age? Around the world, not so much here, Christians are being persecuted daily. You probably watched the world news and saw in Sri Lanka on Easter, no less than six bombs went off, killing over 250 people and injuring at least twice that many targeted towards Christians. Now, here in the U.S., it may seem the persecution is much more tame. 2 Timothy 3.12. Be worth you looking at that passage if you can find it. 2 Timothy 3.12. It honestly probably be a good verse to put to memory. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Our persecution is a little bit different 
here. It's communicated through the world to the Christian that we're all kind of, uh, the way I like to say it, knuckle-dragging idiots who've basically shelved our brains. That's one type of persecution that we receive. Another type is all Christians are intolerant and narrow. I don't know about you, but that kind of stuff gets under me a little bit. I feel persecuted when I, when I get that from our culture. Christianity can isolate you from people and events. It can make you alone. It can make you feel dumb. It can make you feel narrow. It can make you feel intolerant, arrogant. All these things are what the world is telling us. If you're a Christian, those things are true about you. That is a form of persecution. And it's hard because we want the affirmation of other people and we want the affirmation of our peers. But when you become a Christian, you don't just be, become called his and in his family. Here's the real problem is he calls you to go. He calls you to take his message, the good news of the gospel, to a lost world. You know what that means? It means he's asking you and me to step into a culture that doesn't like the message. He's asking you to step into hatred. That's not easy. You ever wonder why you don't share your faith more? Because God is asking you to step into the world with a message that is not easily received. And you know to share that message is to bring hatred. Now, another passage, Luke 6.22, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you. We never think that way. I think, man, I am blessed when people like me. I am blessed when after the sermon someone says, that was spectacular. I don't feel blessed when someone says, did you even look at your text this week before you got up there to preach? No. It says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. I never feel blessed when I'm excluded. Everybody's going to the party and I found out about it the day of. And I'm thinking to myself, I got excluded here. I wasn't invited to the party. What is it about me? You know, why, why did I not? Blessed are you when they exclude you and then the word is revile you. You know what that, another a synonym for revile? Hate. When they hate you and spurn your name as evil, why? On the account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when they hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name on account of God. But then Matthew 5, says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Don't fall into the trap that it's us and them. It's an it's a easy trap. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So my second question for our text today is, why does the world hate Christians? You probably heard already enough answers in what I've said. But look at John in our text, 15, verse 19. Jesus is going to say it really clear. John 15, verse 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we were of the world, it would love us. But because we're not, it hates us. Why are we not of the world? It says it right there in the text. I chose you out of the world. I chose some of you out of the world. And because I did that, they're going to hate you. And it's not, it's three verses prior. uh, Jesus says very similar thing. In John 15, 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So Jesus is saying, I chose you. I chose you out of the world and it's going to be costly, but you're going to bear fruit. Now, it's a, it's a fabulous story. If you look with me over in Acts, when we're talking about how God works and how he chooses someone out of the world and then uses them. Look at Acts 26, and I'm just going to read the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and you're going to see how God intervened and drew him to himself. In Acts 26, starting in verse 9, I'm going to read down through His conversion in verse 18. Read along with me if you would. I myself, this is Paul, was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So Paul is convinced he's supposed to oppose Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. That's hatred. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, here's where it changes. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, 
For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to these things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And hear this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you see a man that is persecuting, and what happens? God himself, through Jesus, reveals himself. And this would be my argument, is that when God chooses us, he reveals himself in such a magnificent, glorious way that we can't help but follow. And that's what is happening to Paul in our story. And that is how Paul recounts it. This is how we're chosen by God. He reveals himself in such a way we see his beauty in the face of Christ and we turn from darkness to light. This must be our prayer. When you think about how do I pray for those that I love to come to Jesus. It is like this. That they would see him in his beauty. Because until they see the pearl of great price for what it really is, they're going to continue to choose to run back to the world. God has to break through and reveal himself in such a way that they see him and his beauty his goodness, his supremacy. And God will use us in part to speak the gospel, but also to pray and to ask God to move on behalf of that family member or to move on behalf of that friend that he would turn the lights on like he did for Paul and they would see. Now, back to our verse in John 15, 22. It's kind of a tricky little verse. It says in, in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. That's the tricky part. If I hadn't come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. So they weren't guilty of sin before Christ came? Weren't they guilty before that? But now, he says... They have no excuse for their sin. I think you've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And I know uh, the very next verse, Paul's going to explain what he's saying. But just for clarity, they would not have been guilty of sin does not mean all sin. Romans 3.23 says we're all guilty of sin. But it would be the specific sin of rejecting Jesus. That's what Paul's referring to. And I know that because look at what John 15, 23 and 24 says. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. He's saying they rejected me. 
They rejected the works and the miracles that I did. But now they have seen and hated both me and the Father. Now they have seen and both hated me and the Father. Among other things, one of the things that this verse teaches us is an explanation, and this this is a key part here, for why other world religions cannot save a person's soul from judgment and hell. Look at this verse again. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So, if I am a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Jew, and any other world religion that says Jesus is not the Christ, Jesus is not God, I have no way to get to heaven because Jesus is saying, if you don't trust me, you don't love the Father. If you don't put your faith in me, you cannot go to heaven. You will be judged. I, if you borrow from John 14, the chapter before, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when uh, I see the bumper sticker that says, let's all coexist, I don't disagree that we should be friendly. But the fact of the matter is the Christian message that Jesus is the only way is an exclusive message. It is not inclusive. Only those who come through Christ will be saved. Christianity and Jesus say that is the only way. That is a hard message to hear. Especially if you're a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu or another world religion. It's no wonder Christianity and those who follow Christ are hated. Think about that. Most other religions say, yes, as long as you believe in God, you're good. Christianity says, no, that's not it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's like, it's like in some way to illustrate, as believers, we are mailmen. We're not responsible for the message that we deliver, but God has called us nonetheless to deliver that message. We should deliver it in truth and in love. I felt like, and this is, this is where it may get home for some of you, especially if you're a parent. And especially if you're on the front end of the parenting. On the back end, most of you will probably just see it and agree with it. Like, yep, that's, that's the way I remember it. And remember, we're talking about if you're his, you're going to be hated, right? That's what Jesus is saying in our text. I felt like <clears throat> when our kids were really young, like this age over here, When our kids were that age and maybe a little bit beyond that, there was no real rub or problem in this area. 
But as they got older, it became more and more of an issue. In some way, when you or me, when we choose to follow Christ, we make a decision that radically impacts our kids' worlds. And as they become older in school, especially grade school, their peers are doing things that the world does. And to illustrate this, 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4 says this. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, living just sensuous, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they hate you. Now, I'm fully aware that our first, second, third, fourth, fifth graders aren't, I hope, going to have drunken orgies like the verse is saying. But the worldliness starts in seed form already by the movies that the parents let them watch, the screen time that they get that your child doesn't get, all of these different opportunities that our kids weren't allowed to have began to bring separation from them and their peers And you could even say isolation. And it was hard. Our kids began to feel the tension for the first times of Christianity and the pull of the world. And sometimes being liked in grade school or middle school by your peers is the most important thing in the world. And we understand that. We live through that. Navigating the world and its hate and our children's hearts and their desires in this world becomes such a challenging prospect for the parent. The parent needs the Holy Spirit to give them, our children, a desire for the things of God over against the things of the world. Because I'm telling you, left to ourselves, we just want the world. We do. We don't want the things of God unless God breaks through and does something supernatural in our soul. It's the conversion story of Paul. It's my story. It's your story if you know him. And it is your children and your grandchildren's story. If our children are to love God, people, we need to fall on our knees And cry out, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, help them see your glory that they might sell everything for the pearl of great price. That they may not want this world more than they want you. Save their souls from that. However, we... And our kids can avoid the haters. It's good news. We can avoid it. The question is how. And Luke gives us the answer. 
If you want to know how to avoid it, and this is a big deal, this is a tip right here. I'm giving you some good stuff. Luke 6.26 tells you how to avoid it. You can avoid the haters. It's in the middle of the Beatitudes in in the Luke's gospel, and this is what it says. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What did I just say? I know. This is what I said. While the true prophets were hated, excluded, reviled, spurned, burned, beaten, tortured, and killed, the false prophets were spoken well of. They actually probably got promoted politically and put in good positions. And people thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread during their time. Luke is saying a warning against seeking the approval of the world rather than being faithful to God. If you want to avoid the haters, all you got to do is be unfaithful to God. Not abide. But if you're going to follow Christ, Christianity, and this is one of the biggest reasons I believe the Bible, it's countercultural. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be persecuted. It's one plus one equals two. If you don't follow Christ, you know what, the, what Jesus said in that? The world will accept you. The world will love you. If you'll be like them, because you won't be judging them by your lifestyle or by your words. They'll just be like, yeah, more is better. You know, I remember being in the backseat of a car as a teenager, and the joint was being passed along, and the guy said, you, you want some? And I said, no. I never got invited back to that party. It's the grace of God. I wasn't a Christian. So just choose not to abide. But look at the rest of our verse, John 15, 26. If we choose to abide, here's how, we, here's how we deal with the hate. Here's how we deal with the hate. Starting in verse 26 of 15 and going through verse 4 of 16. Jesus tells them, he says, but when the helper comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you, the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You can share Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will bear witness about the Father through you. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He says to them, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Isn't that interesting? He's just said, they're gonna hate you, but I'm telling you now. So that you'll know, when you're hated, I told you so. I predicted it. I prophesied that they would hate you. So don't let it throw you off. I've already told you it's going to happen. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Do y'all not all over the Middle East? What happened at the Twin Towers on 9-11? They were offering their service to God. 
And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when, your hour, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. That's going to protect you. I did not say to this, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. What he's saying there is, but now I'm about to leave. And I need to say these things before I go. These are some closing admonitions, some closing warnings. I'm going to send the helper. And if you'll just abide in him, you're going to be all right, guys. You're going to be all right. A word of caution. I get around Christians a lot, and it feels like it's a us and them. And I just want to throw up. It's never been us and them. It's not us and them. It's us for them. It's us for them. God has made you an ambassador for him. It's not we don't like non-Christians, we're going to isolate ourselves. That would be easy. But what God has called you to do is to walk toward a spinning bowling ball of knives with the only hope of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Why is it a spinning bowling ball of knives? Because everything you're about to tell them, the gospel is countercultural. And, and to get to the good news, you have to tell people you're a sinner. And people don't like to hear they're a sinner. And so, what do we do? How do we manage that? First Peter talks a lot about this. But in 2.23, 1 Peter 2.23, this is what Peter said. Talking about Jesus, it said, when he was reviled, when he was hated, he did not hate in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself. Instead of saying that, you know, if I wasn't up here, I might, that I'm going to rip his head off. No, I fall on my knees before my God and I surrender. And in prayer and yielded to him, I say, God, I entrust myself to you. He said this about me. You know it's not true. You know I didn't do it. It's a rumor and it's spreading about me. I'm going to entrust myself to you. That's how you do it. That's how you face the people that hate you. And then you begin to pray for them. God, the only reason they're doing this is because they've never seen your glory in the face of Christ. If they could see your glory in the face of Christ like I do, they would not do this to me. Forgive them. Like Stephen being stoned, forgive them for they know not what they do. May God help us to love like this in the face of true hatred. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us hope 
You give us a way to love those who hate us. And I pray that our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends could have this experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus, that you would show yourself to them in such a powerful way that they would turn to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.